if you land in a new job in a certain jurisdiction on a certain topic, you need to understand the landscape, right? You mm. need to understand what is the history of this particular policy issue or this particular group, in some cases, who might be working on a policy issue, who is responsible for what. It may mean knowing the demographic makeup of the population that you're serving and what that means, what specific concerns might come with that. Again, jurisdictional issues, who is responsible for the different types of policies, who is responsible for health. Hello everyone, I'm Val Morrison with the National Collaborating Center for Healthy Public Policy, and you're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health. From the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily represent any of the agencies or organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Welcome to part two of my discussion with Val Morrison, who is a scientific advisor at the National Collaborating Center for Healthy Public Policy. And in this conversation, we delve into her work around developing seven core competency areas for public policy. The seven core competency groups or thematic areas that we'll focus on are policy analysis and development at number one, influence and advocacy, partnerships and collaboration, communication, policy context, social determinants of health and health equity, policy theory, and a more general category that encompasses leadership as a cross-cutting competency. Enjoy. So you completed the uh, scoping review of the literature and to look for some competencies around public policy. And there was some there was an analysis done to pull out some thematic areas. So can you walk us through what that process entailed of that scoping review and ultimately what you found? And we'll get into the details of the key thematic areas once you're done with that. Sure. So this, as you can imagine, because you've, you've mentioned it several times, is the question that we have repeatedly mm. been asked, you know, from the very beginning of the center is, you know, how can I understand policy? How can I influence policy? We need that. What we hear most often is we need tools to be able to intervene in the policy field. So what we wanted to do is with the knowledge that there are, you know, out there, a number of competency frameworks for public health, the core competencies in public health put up by the Public Health Agency in Canada is one example, one of the main examples in this country. But there are a number of others for different professional associations, for different types of medicine, for different types of of public health. So what we wanted to do is to look through them and find out what they were saying about policy mm-hmm. because we had put out a sort of you know a, a quick document in I think it was 2015 I wasn't involved in this particular project but a, a first kind of preliminary draft of what are the competencies for public policy based on some interviews and looking at some of these documents and we wanted to go 
you know, sort of five, six, seven years later and see what's happened in the field since then, but also be a little more systematic without having done a systematic review of what are all of these various competency frameworks that are related to domains of public health saying that we need to know about public policy. And so we, we did that. We went through, myself and Audrey Camoignet, who was co-author on this work, went through these various policy frameworks, most of them from professional associations, some of them from academic organizations, all from Canada and countries, OECD countries that are sort of similar economically, yeah. socially, political, and pulled out through this sort of painstaking you know, reading and rereading and, re and, you know, trying to put these together because in some cases it was quite complicated mm. uh, because of the nature of competency frameworks to distill them down to these sort of main competencies. But we ended up with eight competencies that came through the most clearly and the most frequently. It doesn't mean that they are definitively the competencies you need to work with public policy in public health, but there's certainly, you know, the trend is there. And we know that there is ongoing work to update the competencies for public health in Canada, for example. Academic institutions are constantly seeking to update the sort of competencies that their students and future workforce will need to work in public health. So we wanted to get a sort of picture of the field, if you will, of what are the competencies that you need to work in public health according to all of these other frameworks. The only policy competency framework that we found that was just that, a public policy for public health competency framework, was the one that we published in 2015. So we knew that there was still a need for mm -hmm. that. And so the, these sort of seven, really, with one cross-cutting competency are the ones that, that emerged from the literature. Thanks for that overview. Before we get into the seven or eight competency groups, so to speak, having gone through this process, when you look at the core competencies for a general public health practitioner and now honing in specifically for public policy, did you find that was a key piece in that what makes a competent overall public health practitioner there are some distinct skills that belong to public policy that one would need to develop if they want to be an effective practitioner in the area of public policy. I, yes, I think so. Absolutely. Mm. There's a lot of those things. I mean, the most obvious is the one I mentioned earlier. If you don't know the policy context, who's mm -hmm. responsible for what, who's doing what, who has already done what, who's already been refused what, then you're, you're unlikely to have a successful program or, or operation Right. if you don't pay attention to those things. But also, I would say, and this is what emerges in, in the scoping review, is that policy analysis and development, that category that mm -hmm. is about understanding what policy is, how it operates, and how it influences health. And then, you know, fr that's kind of the springboard from which you can then imagine right. policies that would improve public health. Right? So right. it's a huge category. It's the most commonly occurring one within right. our study, but it's also the most important, arguably. You need that, the kind of, we sometimes refer to it as policy 101. Right. Right? You need to understand how it works and how it works in context, in your context. So let's start there. That's the first one, policy development and analysis. 
mm-hmm. I also remember from your scoping review, so you mentioned that that one appeared the most as a competency area. But then there's one that sort of surprised you in that it was the, I think it was policy theory, surprised you and how underrepresented it was in the literature from a public policy perspective. So how do we reconcile that, yes, it makes sense, policy development analysis would be cited very often, but in policy theory, not so much. How do we reconcile Mm -hmm. those two things? That's an interesting question and a tough one to answer. Mm -hmm. I come at it from someone with a background in the social sciences and humanities, as I said before. So to me, and if I try to be generous and say, why it is that that does seem on to me, because you cannot understand a field. You cannot even begin to answer or ask questions in a way that is informed without some kind of background theoretical understanding. That's my personal bias. And I know I share it with other people. But in, in this field as well, the fact that so few... I think that there were three or four out of the 43 competency frameworks that even mentioned policy theory. And that doesn't mean they went very far into saying what you needed to know about policy Mm. theory. It seems to me that is an area for development. But that comes up against something that I mentioned earlier and that you mentioned is that people who are doing this work are doing it in the context of a full-time job that might be to, you know, improve the health of X population in Mm -hmm. Y area. That is their job. So they don't necessarily have the time, Mm -hmm. the inclination, or the background sufficient to to even want to or to even understand why should I learn about policy theory. So that, I think, is an area that needs to be developed, that people need to understand why. You know, theory, in essence, is a tool, Right? It's mm-hmm. a tool that allows right. you to view things in right. certain ways. And people in public health always want tools. So, it, you know, the idea is to view theory that way. If, for example, you know, earlier I mentioned a paper that we did on intersectionality. If I've got that sort of background yes. in my mind, okay, so this person's coming from that point of view, it's going to guide what I'm going to look at, what I'm going to look for, and because of that, it will guide in part what I'll find, right? Mm. So you can think of theory that way. So if you look at, you know, punctuated equilibrium theory of policymaking, you're going to see trends that emerge around certain policies that tend to stagnate for a long time. They see a flurry of activity, and then there's a policy change, Mm. right? Because that's the perspective you're coming at it with, and that would be the most appropriate perspective for some questions, but maybe not for all questions. So I think the challenge is to help people see that theory, theory is also a tool. And it's a tool that, to me, is kind of a building block on which the rest of this base can be based. But I say all of that knowing full well, that within certain jobs, and even within certain degree programs, you know, policy theory can't take up more than its fair share of the space. So, so I, yeah, I acknowledge my bias. I think it's extremely important and I would like to see it have more space, but I also acknowledge the context in which this work takes place. It ties nicely, though, into what you mentioned in our Insight Blitz segment about understanding how policies work. And then you, there's a point that you made that I really liked is 
by understanding the theory, what questions to ask in the first place as a starting point. So it seems like developing policy theory, that competency area for folks who are really driven to make a mark on the world from a policy perspective, it seemed like a good return on investment if people can invest their time understanding the different policy theories. Yeah, and, and understanding different theories, and you don't need to understand all of them. Mm -hmm. There are four or five, but, you know, the policy stages, model, punctuated equilibrium, the three eyes, those things that are not that difficult to understand if you limit yourself to the knowledge that you need for your right. purposes, right? right. We, we're not talking about mastering policy theory. And then, like you said, it allows you to ask questions in certain ways, in a way that is more knowledgeable. Mm. It allows you to waste less time, in, in, in essence, right. even though it takes more time to get there. Once you're there, you might be a little more focused on what questions you need to ask are. And let's talk about a third one, and that's influence and advocacy, which may be more familiar to most of us. Can you yeah. walk us through what that entails from the context of your scoping review? Yeah, that was also one of the ones that occurred the most frequently. Mm, right. I can't remember if it was second or it was third, tied right. for third. It was right, right behind the policy analysis and development. But that's the role that's played for by public health actors and associations and groups in advocating for policies that improve health. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it means in advocating for a change in policy because some other policy may be having negative impact on health. But it's knowing how to move around in that space effectively because mm -hmm. some, in some cases, for example, my organization, we don't do advocacy, but many health, public health organizations do. That is their role to do advocacy. But knowing how to enact that role, how to use it most effectively, how to develop relationships with different people in the spheres that, that touch that particular policy field or policy issue are a big part of not everyone in public health, but right. perhaps certain types of roles in public health. Right. The MOH is in our system in Canada, the Medical Officers right. of Health, at different level in, in Quebec, they're regional in most other provinces as well. But the, part of their role is to represent or to advocate for public health on various issues. So, and to do so from a particular point of view and for specific purposes. But that is part of their role. And usually there's a whole team of people that, that are working mm -hmm. on that issue that are, you know, feeding into that advocacy. But it is one of the most important ones and one of the most maybe delicate ones in terms of it requires knowledge of knowing the scene and knowing the actors and being able to you know, package up a message mm. with good facts and good data that's convincing and to the right audience in the right way. Right. That one ties in with communications as well, but for sure. And I would imagine it ties into partnerships and collaboration as much as communication. So can you talk about that partnerships and collaboration competency group? Yeah, oftentimes that's the ability, again, you're right, they all tie mm -hmm. in together. And the collaboration and partnerships oftentimes will be collaboration and partnerships with people in policy roles, but also with community organizations and different advocacy groups. And it could be advocacy groups that are based on 
a certain social or political identity or based on the presence of okay. or absence of a medical condition. So, sorry, I think Siri was getting involved yeah, in the Siri's discussion there. To yeah, Siri's yeah. <laughs> She found something on the web. <laughs> but the, so that's the ability to make partnerships and making partnerships, I think, almost always means compromise, mm. right? Because nobody goes into, so, you know, if it's something that has a, an area or a geographical context, for example, you can expect that each different group will have a slightly different point of view on that issue. And those will have to be navigated as well. So part of partnerships and collaboration is navigating that. Compromise can be a tough word for some people. So I'm glad that you pointed it out. If there's different perspectives in a room, one group at least won't get exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. Right. And that's a big part. I think of a lot of the approaches to public health take that position that to, be, to come as close to I mean, you can't, you will never have a consensus probably, but to get as many voices and people around the mm -hmm. table to discuss the best solution for a public health problem, I think is pretty widely acknowledged as the ideal way mm -hmm. to find those solutions. Mm -hmm. The solutions that will work for as many people as possible, mm -hmm. which sometimes means scaling back what you would hope to do so that you can do more of it with more people and have a broader impact, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then another one, which we started to talk about slightly, was communication. And based on my training in public health, this was probably the area that we spent the most time focusing oh, okay. on, uh, writing policy briefs, statements, and that those kind of pieces. Some, okay. some on the theory, but more so on the practical. If you're asked to give a position statement or policy brief that you have the skills and knowledge to write that so is it more than is communication more than just those pieces or is it just what i talked about is there more to i it? think it can well there's two parts to your question right i would divide that into is there more to communication yes there is and in all aspects of the job but w in terms if we limit to talking about public policy competency frameworks mm -hmm. right. they're generally thought of as those specific types of mm. official communication, gotcha. kind of, but also, and that's where it ties back in with partnerships and collaboration, the ability to communicate your ideas and to form partnerships and listen also as the other mm -hmm. part of communication listen. to what others are saying in, in that communication. And one interesting one I wanted to get to before we talk about policy context is the social determinants of health and health equity. It seemed like that was an interesting one where it was maybe difficult to place as a discrete area in that this is a lens through which we look at public policy. So pulling that out as something discrete seemed like it was a difficult. Yeah, I think that there was less representation of that particular category than I would have expected. Mm. Um, and that, again, my personal bias is because that's the, my main focus of my work is on social determinants and on health inequalities, so on issues of equity. But I think that the relative lack of weight that we see in this particular piece is largely due to the fact that these were public policy or these were public health competency frameworks and oftentimes policy was treated separately gotcha. from 
SCOH and equity. So, so I think it would have been a little more frequent had we undertaken it differently or had we, our entry points been different. But that, in some ways, social determinants and equity feeds into the other competencies as well because you need to, if you're interested in questions of the social determinants, then your approach to policy analysis and development might look a little bit different. Mm. You're looking for those things. Right. So that w- it was definitely a bit of a surprise to me that it wasn't. I think there were still, you know, solid 25 to 30% of them talked about equity, but particularly at this moment in time, mm-hmm. you know, when mm-hmm. we did this around 2020, it seems to me that equity, an equity focus in public health and the determinants would have been stronger. But I think that we understood eventually that it was because those questions were treated in other parts of the same competency frameworks. Right, right. And policy context, that's a big one, understanding the landscape, the political environment. So talk us through the importance of that. So it's one thing to know what makes a good policy, who you need to speak to, but where does this political or policy context fit as a public policy competency area? It's a little bit like what I mentioned before, but if you land in a new job in a certain jurisdiction on a certain topic, you need to understand the landscape, right? You mm. need to understand what is the sort of the history of this particular policy issue or this particular group, in some cases, who might be working on a policy issue. Who is responsible for what? It may mean knowing the demographic makeup of the population that you're serving and what that means, what the specific concerns might come with that. Again, jurisdictional issues, who is responsible for the different types of policies, who is responsible for health. In the Canadian context, again, the knowing the, the rich but diverse ways that Indigenous communities are treated jurisdictionally because of policy and laws. Knowing all of those things, what your responsibility is vis-a-vis the responsibility of other people in the same space, all of those things are necessary to knowing. If you, you know, you think of it as in healthcare, people often talk about the role of patient advocate, Mm -hmm. so that someone that accompanies the patient and knows the ins and outs of the hospital system, so knows, okay, if you need to get your healthcare card renewed, you need to go to this place, and if you need to have this type of exam, you go to this place. It's kind of like knowing that, but for public policy in your context. So who's responsible for what, and what's the best way to get there and get my questions answered? Mm -hmm. That's a very important one. And we'll Mm -hmm. finish off with there's an eighth category, as I understand it, and it's a group of competencies that may not be directly related to each other. And I understand that leadership might be included in that. Yeah, this presented a bit of a challenge for us because the way that leadership emerged from the competency frameworks that we looked at was something that was tiered. I don't know if you're familiar with competency frameworks, but oftentimes they... They're, they're most often called tiers, mm, right, T-I-E-R. Right, so, right, right. you know, so a person at an entry level position would need a certain level of, say, policy mm-hmm. context competency. Mm-hmm. Right. And as you move up to a management mm-hmm. position and then a leadership right. position, you would need increasingly complex mm-hmm. um, and multiple points of knowledge in these areas. So what that did is in our analysis, we flattened those tiers because it, it just meant literally that there were several hundred, you know, different entries that we would have to deal with. There were several hundred as it was, but 
things would be repeating. So, for example, if we had policy context, in one of them had nine tiers. So you had policy context nine times defined slightly differently mm -hmm. all the way up to, say, the top three. Um, this is a fictitious example. Now I'm not talking about the specific nine layered ones, but the top three involved leadership. So mm -hmm. people who are in positions to lead, you know, whether it's a file, a, a policy file, a public health area, and also sort of disseminate that knowledge right. to people who work with them and under them. But because of the way that the competency frameworks were de denied, we lost sight of that a little bit in the original analysis because leadership wasn't emerging as a quality on its own. And then through feedback that we received and going back again through and saying, okay, this might be a little bit of an artificial byproduct of the way that we right. analyze right. this. And leadership clearly is important, but it is of a slightly different order, as you mentioned. You know, this is something that you want people to be able to lead mm -hmm. in, in the policy field within public health, but only if they're in a position to do so. So it is something that, that is viewed as important to, to encourage and to kind of curate, um, but also has a slightly different status than the other seven that are there. I could talk to you for an extra hour, but it's a Saturday. I know you have a nine-month-old puppy there to get to, so I, I won't yes, keep I you do. much longer. But before I let you go, I'd be remiss yes. if I didn't ask you this question. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what is the most surprising lesson you've learned in your career so far? Wow, the most surprising lesson... I don't know that I, well, a lot of what I've said that's been surprising to me, those, you know, the initial jump from kind of more teaching background, more sort of academically based to working in public health and in, I mean, we're arm's length from government, but certainly connected to government. I think, as I said before, the, the preparation that we get in, I don't even know if I can generalize this to, you know, this generation in all programs, but mm -hmm. in the social sciences and humanities tends to be grounded in theory and, and problematization, the way of viewing certain mm -hmm. social phenomena and how you frame them, which, which allows you to then, you know, look at it in a certain way and reach conclusions based on that and, and maybe suggestions or recommendations. And so that piece is, works a little bit different in, in what sometimes referred to as the hard science, sciences and in public health. As we see emerging in this study, theory doesn't have as central a role. My sense is that it does. It's just not acknowledged. You know, it's kind of an implicit theory and it tends to foreground scientific, what's, what's sometimes called scientific data, so sort of those hard facts that appear to be bias-free. That's a, maybe a topic for another time, but that's been a surprise to me. And an ongoing one, even like 15 years on, it's still one that I haven't quite figured out how to get around that. I guess I'll say, and I, I, I don't want to end on a negative note, but I think it's an important point to make. We, you know, we were talking earlier about the Lalonde Report in 74, mm -hmm. the Ottawa Charter in 86, the, and we could go on up through the more recent ones. But a lot of these things, the way that policy influences health, the importance of the social determinants of health, the importance of 
working upstream, as you said. We've known these things for a very long time. Uh, and we still, you know, fall into lifestyle drift or we still create policies that are much more likely to have an impact at the individual or the downstream level. And, you know, in, in my sort of personal opinion, we need to get busy. We need to be doing the things that we've been acknowledging for a long time. You know, now we know that. Let's act on it. Let's act on it. And on what you said, based on what you said, not wanting to end on a negative note, I don't think that was negative. I think that was a very honest and clear message. Having said that, though, I just want to give you a last opportunity to share what you would consider to be your key take-home messages for our audience listening as we wrap this up. In terms of policy competencies, I would say absolutely. The key message is learn about policy, learn how it affects health, and learn what you can do to influence policy positively for population health. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.